Hello everyone, today is February 9th, 2023. My guest today is Matt Caudry. Matt is a financial strategist. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Matt. Great to see you again, Karosh. It's been a while. It's been a while. How? Uh, so we were talking about how our, I said 2023 before the podcast, but you know, I meant to say 2022 because I don't think we, we spoke to each other all of last all. year yeah that's right and that one i mean it didn't seem very long ago that our last recording dude i i still see i have like little memories come up on my phone for specific clips and it'll say hey like you know october a year ago you did this and that's when we did it right and you know we're in 2023 now so it's already been six months ish past that or almost six months right so year and a half going on yes Time's really flying. Crazy stuff, man. And, you know, life has changed a lot for me, too, uh, since then. So safe to say there's a lot to talk about. What has changed for you, notably? So for me, my biggest thing, a personal thing of mine, is I got to pay off my student loans, which was 50K at the height of it. So that started off in, in 2020 during COVID. And then in 2022, early 2022 is when I paid it off. So took a little bit, but that was one big thing. Another big thing was I started a financial planning company. So actually designed to work with people who are in my age bracket, people who are, I would consider young professionals who are typically overlooked in that industry. So people are usually only looking to work with older, more established people who are nearing retirement. And this is something a little bit different where I'm trying to get to know and talk and work with people who are just like me. First, congratulations on, on your completing, you know, paying off your loans. That's a really huge amount in two years. And so that's well done. And that's a testament, you know, you can give to your um, potential clients and say, Hey, look at, you know, not, not as any sort of bragging rights, but just as a, personal finance matter like you want financial strategists to be well versed in personal finances and to pay off student loans like that is a good indication yeah yeah that's actually one of the things i pitch exactly like you said uh, it's all about having a plan tracking your money where it's going and just staying on top of your lifestyle you know what i mean like do you really have to uh buy a super fancy car when you're 23 24 no right like you probably have other better ways to spend your money and in that case for me it was debt and for a lot of people it is so nice and so how has starting this company what have you learned it's been a lot of fun man um it's it's in the financial industry right so it's very regulated there's tons of rules and and tons of just guidelines i have to stay on top of because it could be the reason the government doesn't let you operate as a business right so there's a lot of red tape, let's say. Um, but that's good, though, because it creates this uh, level of trust that you can establish with your clients, right? They're not worried that you're going to scam them because there's actually a lot of scams. We, we talked a lot about Bitcoin and crypto last the last time we met, and a lot of scams have happened, uh, reached the press, right, in a big way, like FTX, for example. And this is one of those things, this kind of business is one where it's I'm under the scrutiny of the government. And so it gives potential clients and customers a sense of ease in a way. So I, I like that about it. 
but the other big thing is is that it's pretty hard to convince people to um implement changes to their lives if you work with them whether you're a trainer or a financial advisor right which is my case it's you might say hey this is really a great idea for you but getting the person to actually do that is surprisingly difficult and that that's been a challenge for me working with a few a few clients who might be really successful in some ways but then they got this like one really bad habit and, and getting in front of it and saying like hey this is how we should solve this it's never as simple as just telling them this is how we solve it. So I find that pretty fascinating, a, a big psychological thing. That's a very interesting point you make because I have noticed that in some of the most financially savvy people, they know some of the most intricate aspects of the financial market and they even know you know, what's good and what's not good spending habits, but they have a very difficult time implementing those actions. Yeah. And so the secret sauce is really being able to get them to make those changes and then coming back like, you know, a few months later when you work with them uh, and saying, Hey, this is the progress we made. Like, look at, look at how our relationship has created this or executed on this opportunity. Right. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, it's a service and it, it's, it's not the same thing as a, as a product, right? It, the, the measure of success is just super different and, and accomplishing that has been so much harder than I ever would have expected because I'm more of a numbers guy. So if for me, uh, a number adds up to a specific decision I should make, it's generally pretty easy to, to make that decision. It's really interesting that you bring up that point, you know, a lot of fine, you know, even me getting into finances, like my traditional education is engineering. I'm a numbers guy too, but there's a lot of qualitative finesse sort of aspects to it that kind of result in the quantitative number, but how you, how it gets there is not always so cut and dry. Yeah. Um, no, dude. Yeah. For me, like, for example, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example in my life, probably, um, for me, I mean, you know, in my early twenties, especially going out was a big expense, expensive one. And it's one of those things where as you get older and you have more freedom, you, there's a bit of an inclination to spend more free time spending money. And, and so that'll mean like, Hey, it's Friday or it's Wednesday, let's go to happy hour. And, and then before you know it, it all just keeps adding up at the end of the month. And then you're like, wow, I spent $1,000 this month going to bars and restaurants. It's like, I never did that before, you know, two years ago. And it's because you get more money, you have some more time, maybe you have a group of friends in the same boat. And that's how you kind of build up that habit. And then unwinding that habit and going the other direction is not easy. No, that's a huge psychological dilemma that most people face but even i think one thing that you pointed out that a lot of people don't reach is that number at the end of the month and saying so a lot of people i feel have no clue you know they don't budget one and two they don't evaluate what they actually spent compared to their budget 
And that's a huge issue because the first thing to making a big change is actually knowing those numbers. Yeah. So uh, just, I'm just totally curious. How do you, per do you personally budget at all? Or how do you, if you do? I do budget. I, uh, <clears throat> I use mint.com. Okay. And um, I really like mint.com. It lets me one, it lets me keep tabs on all of my accounts. Yep. And it gives me my expenditures. So like, I know how much I'm spending on groceries. I can actually see how much more I'm spending on groceries this year compared to two years ago. Yep. It's nearly a hundred times. It's <laughs> almost over a hundred times more. And I don't feel like I'm purchasing very different foods. I feel like at the same foods, I'm purchasing somewhere along the lines of hundred percent more uh, or spending a hundred percent more. But that's one is it's mint.com really is uh the big thing how about for yourself so the uh, but, so before i talk about myself i, I just want to follow this point for a second because i think it's super interesting that you you mentioned mint so what do you like the most about mint is it just because it's simple that the way that it just totals up your accounts or what is it that makes you go to mint over everything the the one of the few things is it's integrated so i can put all of my accounts in one it can be all of my bank accounts it can be my credit cards it can be um even you know i have a robin hood account it put that in there and so one i can have my net worth the value of my home my mortgage even when my car payment was there, it, it was able to integrate my car payment. And so with all that, I'm able to know my approximate worth, net worth, which I really like. Because then it's like, you know, if there's a couple months where maybe I, I wasn't so, you know, I, would, I don't want to say I was irresponsible, but I wasn't as financially responsible for several months in 2022. And that was actually, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of something called a, I got this from four hour, the four hour work week. Okay. Yeah. But it's called a mini retirement. Yes. And I kind of implemented that in 2022 and now I'm and I'm rescinding that because now it's like, all right, I would like, and I saw my net worth not increase. It, it didn't go down. Oh, okay. That, that was the one thing it actually didn't go down. And that was one thing I liked about mint was that I was able to, and I told my friend this, I was like, even through this, I'm able to verify yeah, that my net worth that yes, I'm not becoming poorer. And a huge part of that is hedging a lot of my worth against inflation, you know, assets that guard against inflation, such as a home, um, because a huge portion of my wealth, you know, as a young person, one of the biggest purchases will probably make is a home. And when you do that, I found and I talked to one of my friends who has a background in finance. A big portion of your wealth as a young person could be in your home and that was a huge guard against the uh 
the my wealth dipping but that's the one thing was that through that i was able to and that was my goal through that was like i'm not going to get poorer i might not get richer right now but i don't want to get poorer so that's one thing and then the budgeting i like to check my budget once or twice every week and i find that to be of great value because i mean it can ease i mean easily you can spend hundreds of dollars within an hour i mean it doesn't take you just i i told my coworker this a couple of years ago it was like i can't walk outside the door without spending money and to some degree that's true you go for a drive you're going to spend money you're going to go for a walk you might want to get a drink like even a water or something and it's going to cost some money so that's what I like about it. And also uh, Intuit, the company which makes Mint, is um, also the owners of TurboTax. And I find yep. TurboTax to be a great product. Good stuff. Yeah, I feel I feel the same way about so much of what you just said when it comes to Mint and, and even TurboTax. For me, what I like the most about, about Mint, I've been using it. It was my first major budgeting tool in 2019 is when I started using it. I really like the way you described it just puts everything together in one place because imagine you have, you know, five credit cards, two bank accounts, and you have to go through every transaction. It's just very impractical. Right. And that was how it was to budget even just 10, 15, 20 years ago, which is really crazy to think about. It was way harder to do back then. So now you have stuff like mint where you just make an account, you sign in, it puts everything together in front of you, your net worth, even, uh, that to me, it is such a no-brainer. Why, like, why anybody would use it, right? To me, I think every person our age, in their early twenties, mid twenties, should be starting off with an aggregator like Mint. Uh, personally, I I do take it one step further. I much prefer to use a spreadsheet because in finance, you become the spreadsheet master at your company, and once you get good with it, it's quite useful. Uh, I also like it because, you know, Mint sometimes doesn't get the categories for specific expenses, right? Uh, and so I like to take it one step further and just really stay on top of all the little things. Uh, but that's just me being a little bit nitpicky. I think the average person could be very successful using something like Mint. And it's not even work. you know, you don't even, you don't even have to pay for anything, which is the craziest part. So, uh, but the that's really the point I, I wanted to make is it's so easy and yet people don't do it at all and i don't know anybody actually in my friendship group who uses mint of all the friends i have down here growing up in south florida none of them have a use a budgeting app which i find fascinating because they might actually be uh high earners in their careers and doing really good uh but it's like there's just no interest or no care to strategize beyond next month right so did you have you seen i mean there's a bit of a meme going around for the last year or so that one third of people making over 250k are living paycheck to paycheck yeah and that's not even a i don't even think that's a real that's a meme i think that was like based on a study or some article where where some survey of people making that money said that and i think it's so fascinating because you know there's actually a lot of people who they make a lot of money, but they just spend so much of it and none of it's really invested or put away in any sort of capacity. And so that's kind of how you get into a scenario where most of your paycheck is spent 
really it's on entertainment going out and, and hanging out with friends and stuff like that restaurants bars uh, I find it's quite common with the people who work in white collar careers who are paid pretty well uh, because I think there's a, a bit of a cultural aspect where they they go with their coworkers out to eat a lot and to hang out. And there's like a business aspect even too where um, it's just part of your company. Like if your company is a, an investment bank or some big firm like that, you'll do a big party celebration at the end of some big deal where everybody got a ton of money, right? And it just becomes this kind of like a, a reinforcing habit, right? So I can definitely see how people, uh, even though they're making tons of money because they just have no guardrails around their lifestyle, it just gets out of control because you can always spend yourself into, into debt, right? Like credit cards are just like, uh, that's why credit cards are so dangerous. And that's why I think there's a big stigma against them. I, I love credit cards. I actually, I have a cool story to tell about that. Um, this just happened. So in Christmas, I don't know if you heard about the the Southwest flight cancellations right after Christmas. Yeah. So I, I went with my with my girl to Indiana, visited her family. Southwest or, you know, all the flights got canceled the next day and they offered, you know, me to they canceled the next day's flight. Even the, the latest I can get back home was like three, four days later. And I had already been there for like five days. So I'm like, I, I really don't want to stay here longer. It's way too cold. And my credit card had a thing where if my flight, if I bought it on the on that card and my flight was delayed for more than six hours or canceled, I can get up to $500 in reimbursements towards any sort of expenses that happen because I was stuck there. And, and that's what happened. I just got the check in the mail or I just got notified I, I would receive a check like yesterday that I'm getting 500 bucks uh, because I had to buy a hotel room for the night. I had to rent, I rent a rented a car to drive back home. I didn't want to stay there. And it like saved my back, you know, in a way. And, and, but the thing is there, there's all kinds of perks like this for credit cards, but if you don't know how to use them, they become, you know, they're, they're a double-edged sword. And the problem is when you combine the cultural component of spending lots of money and having no guardrails with a double-edged sword, you know, it's like being given a gun without knowing how to use it. Absolutely. And I think the one big difference between now and maybe say 20 years ago is mobile banking, online banking. I mean, maybe paying off credit cards when you had to get something in the mail, put check in the mail, throw it back every month. And that was the protocol for paying off your credit cards maybe then i understand because that's actually like work that takes a lot of effort but nowadays the protocol is to do like a fingerprint on the phone to log into the app go to the account press pay press transfer from my checking to my credit card and it's paid and if the issue is now people have to be responsible to not let that get to a point where they start paying interest or even like maybe they don't pay interest, but it just gets out of control still. But I think that's one, you know, like you said, finances with this online aspect have become easier. I mean, not to, and but a lot of people, I, it, there's a lot of things about online too that make things harder. For example, People can spend a lot of money on Amazon very quickly as well from the comfort of their couch. 
That's a good point. Yeah. And, and I think that was, that was actually one of the reasons why they thought Amazon, right. They thought they knew they were, they had something is like, imagine, you know, you don't have to go out and leave your house to go buy this thing. You can just buy it from your phone. People are going to buy everything from us if that's the case. And that's exactly what happened. Right. So it's the same thing. I, but generally speaking, I think there's like a, I think technology is a double-edged sword, right. For the most part. So this, when I see how, like, like the example you gave of having to send a check in the mail and all that, like the crazy part about that is you could never really keep track of your balance on your credit card, unless you had like a checkbook and you, you know, balanced it like that or something where you had to write down every transaction and the number to keep it all added up or something like that. Right. Um, nobody has to do anything like that anymore, which is so fascinating to me why people still have serious issues with it, but it just keeps coming back to, uh, there's no controls put into place on your lifestyle, whether it's a budget or, Hey, I'm not going to go out three days a week at least or four. I mean, I'm going to schedule just one day a week going out some sort of behavioral mechanism that you could stick to because we, we, we talked about this too being good at your personal finance is a lot like staying on top of your physical health. Like if you just ate cakes all day, you'll get fat really quick. And then all of these health problems will compound. It's the same thing when, when you use a credit card without you just haphazardly without paying attention. So I, I don't, there's no difference to me. No, there's no difference. And people, you know, they have to be accountable to themselves I've I've heard one new credit um I'm not sure the word for it but it's the monthly payments aspect that kind of has popped up over the last several months. We might have talked about it before but I know that that adds a lot. I've heard that that adds even more credit to that people are just unaware of they're like oh I can pay $25 today and get an iPhone 13. And then I just have to pay. Oh, the buy now, pay later. Yeah. Yes. And it's another form of credit. And one, you know, like one thing that I read recently in the last month, two months uh, that I thought was, you know, kind of mind blowing was Warren Buffett has taken out one loan in his entire life and that includes and that loan was a mortgage so that means he's only taken out you know one loan and when i think about that and i think about you know even mortgages to a certain degree they're if you have no idea you know what finances are it's a great hedge on inflation and a great you know place to put value but when you get as intricate as someone like warren buffett and understand what that means he's only taken out one loan in his entire life he's paid almost no interest one of the richest men in the world has almost paid no interest um that's how i interpret that yeah well you know it's a debt is extreme well okay so the way i think about this as like a finance guy, so much of our economy runs on debt, which is why you'll you'll hear a lot of people say, 
debt is good like there's such things as good and bad debt and there's a conversation around that uh like i don't know if you've heard of rich dad poor dad that book um it's yes. like an, yeah robert kiyosaki that guy cannot stop talking about debt because he's a big real estate guy and and the truth is debt is uh is a it's a it's a tool that can be used good but the problem is as consumers as your average everyday people we use we look at debt to buy stuff that is not going to pay us back right so so that buy now pay later thing why would you i, I understand like the, there's so many people who will go and buy the latest iphone and choose to make monthly payments towards the latest iphone over the next year or two and you know it, it sounds the way they'll rationalize it is they'll say well why would i pay 700 dollars now i can just pay for it in little increments the problem with that is that that's that makes sense for like the first iphone the only you know the the first thing you buy let's say but if you keep doing that with literally everything you spend money on at some point along the way there's going to be a, a ceiling and then that's when you hit it and then before you know it you're drowning in your payments because you didn't really properly account for the fact that you just can't leverage everything. And it's kind of like uh, the way the US just hit the debt ceiling. They they have to now make payments to lower the, the debt that they have right now outstanding, or they have to raise the debt ceiling, right? To continue to spend more. But the problem is we as everyday people, we can't just raise our limit on what we can be lent. And at some point along the way, the house of cards is gonna fall down. And, and I think that's what happens with credit cards is, is people kind of like with the buy now, pay later, they'll, they'll just run up the credit card and they'll hit their limit. And then that's when they start worrying about it is when they hit their limit, because now they actually have to pull money from their checking account. And it's, it's quite sad to be honest, because there's, it, it's all because of a lack of oversight and, and that's all it comes down to. Yes. And the, that point is very sad because one thing that I've said a couple times is people who don't make small sacrifices are eventually forced to make huge concessions. And in finance, this, that's one place is where it's very evident. It's like you make small sacrifices along the way so that when that big thing hits, you're in a place in a you know in a good position to be able to make the decision you know you feel you have to make and naval ravikant i don't know if you know who i that love is. naval yeah mm -hmm. yes i mean he talks about it wealth is freedom the reason we want to get wealthy is so that we can be free and that's all you know that if you can take that for what it is i mean that's a good reason it's not to control other people it's not for reputation he makes that point too it's not about reputation it's literally about the ability to say i don't want to do that you know what this was thing that you know a lot of other people have to do to make money i don't want to do that i don't need to do that i'm in a position where you know i verified step by step it's a it's a slow process to be able to be in a you know in a good financial position for most people it, it takes a long time 
And it also takes a lot of long-term forward thinking, I would say, because the, you know what I love about Naval is one of his quotes is, "You, uh, I don't care how much money you make, but if you have to be somewhere at a specific time, at a specific day, uh, and you know follow someone's orders, then you're not actually wealthy, right? And and the truth is, like he just dissed like pretty much all of corporate America, white collar jobs, because they might get paid really well sometimes, the executives especially, but they're on the hook for a lot of stuff. And it's almost like their lives aren't even their own at some point, right? They're they're in that machine of, of corporate America and they're kind of, that's all they really have, right? So contrast that with, with people like um, Tim Ferriss, who wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, where he found that if you can just make so much money and you go to another country in this internet economy and it costs like nothing to live there and you can have this great lifestyle, why would you, why wouldn't you do that? And that was like the way he, and then he actually, I would argue he, in that way, he's a lot wealthier than a lot of these, you know, high earning uh, CEOs, CFOs at these big companies in America, even though they might have like 20 times the money in their bank account. But it's not about that. It's just about being able to do whatever you want when you want. They might not even have the money in their bank account. They might just have the incoming paychecks that are very high. True. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that too. Um, or it might be you know stock in the company that they work at, and they can't even sell it because it's restricted stock, and they have to own it because they're they're a you know a chief stakeholder. And talk about having your hands tied. You know, are you really wealthy? No, I wouldn't say you're wealthy. That's a very interesting dilemma that I've never thought of. Yeah, dude. Uh, restricted stock, like you could be, you know, people ask for transparency in 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 finance, right? And one of the ways companies do that is they force their top people to hold a specific to hold stock in that company for at least so much time, and and all that does is it it makes them on the hook for whatever happens to the company and however the market reacts to whatever happens to the company. And so if everything goes, you know, if you're if you're a top executive at Apple and then um, your supply warehouse in China blows up and the media finds out about it, the CEO is not going to, like he can't, he can't get rid of his stock or somebody in the company has stock in an apple that they get paid in even and they can't get rid of it but the stock just tanks like 10 15 20 percent and their wealth just tanked you know some percent because of it and they can't do anything about it they're not actually free no not at all and guarding ourselves from those types of situations is of the utmost importance right and you know the way I would say we go about doing that is a very difficult question because it involves figuring out our own capabilities, what it is we have to offer the world, and how to actually put that in motion. Yes. For example, maybe if this person was a good engineer and it was 2001 and he worked at apple that's a that's a situation where yes you want to take that money you want to take those stocks you want to stay there for four or five years 
and that's everyone's situation is different based off of so many complicated factors yeah i the way i think about it especially for a lot of people my age who you know i i don't know if you've seen the stats but it's like men are gradu are graduating less and less often compared to women women are graduating at like way higher rates they're even making more money now very interesting to me right and, but i think it ties back to this idea that if you don't know yourself well enough to uh, in terms of where you think you'll go or where you think you can do good then you're going to be in this weird limbo state where you're not going to be in the right job you're not going to be able to develop the skill set that's compatible with you sooner than later which means you won't make the money that you need to become free until way later and until you figure it out and, and i think that's the problem for a lot of people is they don't really know themselves well enough perhaps to to figure out that path that oh i should i would be a good engineer or i would be a good lawyer whatever it is right you have to figure out what you're good at before you can even make the plan because that's the goal that you have to have set up first how do you think people can go about figuring that out for their for their own situation so like you said people are all different right everybody's got a different personality i think my favorite way to approach this problem is by looking at your personality specifically and in my life the way i've approached it is i would take i would actually take personality tests and i would read into the results and i would connect the the whatever the results were to whatever careers fit well with those results and for me it turns out it's really funny there's you know there's the big five personality tests right that's the most valid one scientifically and then there's another one called uh it's a website 16 personalities it's not as valid it's based in carl jung union psychology but they say it's not as valid as the big five but when i took that test seven eight years ago now the results i got came with little career recommendations and so one day like a few months ago i looked back at those recommendations and they're all jobs that i either have or am doing in my business or I'm trying to do in some capacity now. And I find it so interesting because I gravitated so naturally to these things and it worked out really well for me. And, and so I can't imagine if people just had just a little bit of awareness to go and take those kinds of tests as a first step and, and just pick the thing they think resonates most with them that, that comes as a recommendation. They might be really surprised to learn that it was a great fit for them and they never would have thought about it had they not taken the test self-reflection is a huge deal and yep. that those types of tests trying to analyze yourself put that into a survey and then at the same time getting some you know real professional insight i mean granted you said the the 16 step the 16 personality one is less valid but there's still some form of validity that isn't you know our bias in that <clears throat> what what positions did you see listed when you returned to the, when you checked the list out again 
Yeah, so the positions that came to me were... So actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, my first job out of college was a financial analyst, right? So it just means a high, like an executive level person who is working with the executives to look at the company's numbers, essentially. That was one of them. So financial analyst was one of them. Financial advisor was one of them. Uh, lawyer was one of them, which a long time ago, I considered being a lawyer. Um, what else is there? Uh, there's also consultant, uh, which is kind of what I'm doing with the side business now. There was also, um, trying to think, just a, like a, like a client facing person who's good with numbers, who's trying to show people how to do something kind of, there's a, there's a good way. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to remember if I, I can't, I think I even, even like computer programmer was in there. And there was a time when, when I started college, my first major going in was software engineering and then I switched it. So I, all these little dots started connecting when I saw this list again now a few months ago and i was just so surprised to see man like i gravitated to these things so naturally before i was aware of the fact that it's all related to your personality yes and we have to take that into account playing into our strengths is valuable i think guarding our weaknesses is also valuable but our strengths are where we're going to contribute, where people, where society is going to value us the most. And that's, you know, a lot of people our age have this idea that they want to do something in particular. They want to work in sustainability they want to work in water they want to work i had a friend who told me they wanted to work in water and that person <laughs> i've never uh, heard that like water treatment water sustainability okay. Okay. water like something along the lines eventually that person now works at a company that is attempting to remove microplastics from water which is a huge which yep. is a very important thing but those jobs aren't highly available. They're not valued very highly. You're going to have a tough time finding that. Once you end that particular job, you're going to have a tough time finding a new job. And one thing for me is that I've always, with jobs, it's like the path of least resistance for me. It's like society, the economy has these things that they value very highly. And those things are represented by the pay. And it's not about, actually, you know what? The more I, and I'm an engineer, the more I, you know, I did not like engineering when I was 18 years old and started engineering. It's like, I actually appreciate it much more right now that I've spent the time, but like, I only gravitated towards it because it's a good, it's a high paying job that I didn't need to go to. And, you know, I just, I didn't go to get my master's. I just got my BS and then I got out. And so I think that's something it's like, you know, I didn't get to work in water. I didn't get to work in recycling. Um, 
but I feel pretty financially stable right now. And like people, you know, a lot of people need to take that more into account is like, that's something that matters and you don't realize it. A lot of people don't realize it until it's too late, like you said, and that's a very sad point. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a good way to put it because I think part of it's also a generational thing where, where in the past, people would take really good pride in doing a job well done, even if it was in something small, objectively small. And I think in today's world, where we're constantly comparing ourselves to these ideals, whether they're real or not, that we see on social media, especially, it makes it probably makes us feel like we're wasting our time doing small stuff, even though it's part of the journey. And I didn't really, I think I fell into the same trap myself. And I still struggle with this a little bit because I'm always trying to do bigger things. But when I had my first job, and I was working with the CEO of this company and it was really cool because it's, I didn't really get to learn this until I started working at these companies where the people who are at the very, very top, they are monsters and like the best way to put it, right? They're extremely competent. They're really sharp with their language. They know how to use words really well and say things and present things and convince people. And, and they kind of scared like me being like 22 at the time, they scared me with how good they were at, even at like 60 years old. Cause I had, I would never see anybody in my day-to-day -day life who looked that comp that competent and that confident or, at, or even presented that way. And, and so when they, when I, when they would ask me to do something that was very easy for me to do, like fix a spreadsheet on the computer because you got to realize they're 60 years old right there was no excel when they were in their 20s to them we call them technologically illiterate and we poke fun at them but but this dude was so appreciative that i could do that for him even if it was a small thing for me and in, in a way it made me feel like man like i can help this guy and this guy is like a badass Yet there's something about me that he needs me for. And, and understanding that was a very pivotal moment in that job because when I started the job, I felt like I wasn't being given the most opportunity. And, and that was like a little bit of a pivotal moment for me to realize, you know, even in these small things that I, that I consider nothing, this guy really appreciates me. And I actually really admire this guy. And, and so how am I going to, not equate you know what he's appreciating me for with something in some way that's valuable yes and that's awesome that you recognize that very small token of gratitude that guy had or that token of gratitude that guy had for what you what wasn't a very intensive work which was a very intensive work for you and people need to capitalize on making sure that they see those moments and that those making those moments count is vital because that's what life is. It's a it's a series of very small moments that kind of have a big feeling that we look back on. Yeah, I I think in general people would benefit a lot from 
from developing a better sense of empathy, especially in the workplace, because the thing that keeps coming back to me is I'm the younger kid who's good with technology and everybody who needs help with technology, they'll, they'll look at me and, and before you know it, people kind of depend on me for some stuff. Right. And I think that's the case for a lot of people in our generation who are going into these in, into the workforce and they have this like very niche set of skills that older people just don't have and understanding that even though it seems very small to you the fact that it's something that only you can do or your people your generation can do should make you feel like that's your way in to gaining more responsibility gaining more credibility getting more respect and just growing right you you take advantage of any opportunity that's given to you instead of just saying oh it's not good enough yes and that's not a good uh mentality you know it's not i mean some things we definitely should avoid um but you know being a little humble especially at the beginning and for example like i i felt the same way too but there are also some instances where you know junior level people they can't really see everything that's going on yeah. they don't understand so like they have a perception that they can do something and i had this that they're able to take on a situation but really if they were given that there's a good there's a decent chance you know some they don't they don't have the full picture and it's it's tends to be a bit more complicated than we get than junior people i think give it credit for that's right right so it's like you haven't even worked here a year and you think you can run everything and and i like to think that people do make those kinds of assumptions way too early on yeah because because i my my big phrase is life is complicated you know there's lots of stuff to consider and you don't know it all you don't have it all figured out let alone in this in this business right if you're starting a new job you're not going to have it all figured out for quite some time right people are going to have to help you and tell you stuff and you need people right and you need people to like you so you should be humble one of the biggest lies i don't know if this is an actual lie but kind of uh just something that i think went about over the last 10 years is this idea of a young entrepreneur ceo making it huge and it's like there are a couple notable ones mark zuckerberg being the most notable one i think also airbnb ceo was very was relatively young but a lot of the ceos are not that young um it took decades also actually elon musk got rich off of paypal i think at like 29 to 32 something around that age so that's relatively young too um but it's kind of a fabrication and i think it leads to that uh mentality where like it you're we can't get super rich super fast without much work that's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. not gonna happen i mean it 
people who get rich tend to do a lot of work over a long period of time and get lucky along the way and i think those are the people who are super rich i think people who are just well off you don't need to get that lucky if you're willing to work hard and take it slow right so the way i see it is there's there's really there's a few different paths but the, the first two that i can think of is you are a hardworking person. You you went to school. You did a good job. You got a good job coming out. You got rid of your debt. You're focusing on getting a promotion, or maybe you switch jobs to get more money. Whatever you have to do, and you just keep doing that and keep gaining responsibility and figuring out your weaknesses and learning more on the job and and, to, and just moving up the ladder. Let's just say playing that role. You're going to keep making money, and as long as you have your spending under control, you will be pretty wealthy by the time you're in your mid 30s like no problem pretty much guaranteed is you just invest it save 20 percent, 30 percent of it and and don't go too crazy and and that's really all it takes now if you wanted to be like a really rich person like we're talking over 10 million dollars inflation adjusted right that's that's just generally more difficult to do because there's only so much time in every day and we're talking about a really short time frame so that's when you get these stories of these young ceos like the elon musk and, and the mark zuckerberg and when you really analyze them interviews with them or see how they talk and they, how they think these guys are pretty smart guys they're very talented that they're they're not the norm the average person is just not at that level but the other thing is that to be able to create they've also taken advantage of the technologies that were uh, new and innovative at that time and applied them to specific things that to specific problems that haven't been solved yet. And, and that's why they fill this big gap in the market and then the market sees it and it just jumps on it and it becomes this huge living business. Right. And, and that's how, how it was with Facebook. I mean, Mark went to Harvard, uh started facebook out of his dorm room i think it was and it was initially just for the universities around the area yale harvard that kind of thing and then you know something about it really took off and resonated with people it was like oh we get to see and connect with people across the world or across the schools and and catch up and connect social media and it became huge like that for elon musk it, paypal was in the i think late 90s right so there was nothing like paypal at the time and i was using paypal when i was like like eight years old I and remember. yeah and and he ended up selling it to i forgot who bought it who bought it but he sold it for like a hundred million dollars because it was so well created it was well developed at a time when nothing like it existed and and some bigger company with the money to do so came in and was like we want that for us and and he sold it and that's how he made a ton of money but the truth is it, it's hard to do that in general because now the there are so many people trying to do that all the time probably more than before i would argue in with the internet age right but now i would argue the next phase is something like the web three world, whether it's crypto related, metaverse related, there's gotta be some sort of technology that's underlying those things. 
that I think is going to be how there's going to be another Mark Zuckerberg or another Elon Musk in that realm using that technology to solve a very specific problem. The question is, what is the problem that's going to be solved and, and how are you going to do it? So that's somebody's, I can guarantee you, somebody's in there right now uh, trying to figure it out. But, but yeah. you know, we're not all going to do that, right? So pick your path and and play the long game, you know, because very few people are, are cut out for that sort of truly visionary uh, way of living. And it's not easy. No, it's not easy. And what should become a bit more uh, well-known is the names of people who utterly failed who are completely broke today and who tried products that might be the same exact things as what everyone else as you know a different type of paypal or a different type of social media that failed um because i mean that you we just don't know well that's the thing is is people don't really there's a lot of survivorship bias right which, yes. just, which just means we pay attention to whoever's standing and we forget about anybody who ever played and failed, right? And and there's a lot, there are nonstop examples of it, but it never even makes it far enough to where people even hear about it and, and nobody gives it any time of day. But but that but that's the thing, is is that that's that's actually why I like business so much, is because you are really you're 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 paid to take a big risk and if it goes really well you might make a lot of money or if you did something wrong maybe it wasn't the right time maybe you didn't have the right target market or something you did something wrong you're not going to make any money and you're going to learn a lot from it but it's up to you to pick yourself up and, and keep trying right um and and that's the, the i i believe that's the case for a lot of successful people too who had ideas and chose not to give up on them and over the course of time maybe it wasn't an overnight success they they did make it and and there are a lot of i, I think one of the good examples i can think of is the dude for uh in the kentucky fried chicken logo what's his name colonel sanders i think or i, I don't know his name but yes. he didn't get you know he might have been working in restaurants for a long time and then he didn't he had the the KFC concept in his head, but he didn't do it until he was like in his fifties or sixties, right? That's there's not there's nothing wrong with that, right? But people are too much in a hurry to to succeed now, now, now. And and I put myself in that camp too. I mean, I put a lot of pressure on myself to to do big things, and uh, we got to learn how to balance that a little bit. Yes, I think I do too, and you do have to balance that. And I think the one thing that you've highlighted and you spoke about with that one example of you providing that service to your first boss is we push, we reach for the stars and, you know, that Colonel Sanders probably wouldn't have been able to create KFC 20 years before he did. He probably just didn't have the skills, the connections, whatever it may have been. He wasn't in the place to, to create KFC. He probably did much smaller things that unrecognizable, no one cares about. They're meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But eventually, all of those small things, I'm sure he took it in stride and it was able to get him 
to be, you know, create a very successful, I'm not sure the story, but eventually create what we now know as KFC. One other thing though, relating to this is that, you know, again, people don't take this in stride. They don't take the small successes as meaningful. And I feel like there are so many people that burn themselves out. I mean, this is a very, I mean, once you like, life is a long haul. It's like decades long. And this new internet economy, this new, like, you know, engaging with people, I'm thinking about like podcasting and like kind of business, business too. And it's a long haul. I mean, you got to be prepared for the next 20 years. I mean, you're 26, I'm 29. We could like, in 20 years, we're the age that most successful CEOs are at. And we, people just have to keep that in mind. And especially people our age, you know, they want, I feel we want something grandiose much when, you know, much younger than we deserve it. But I do want to pivot um, because, and think about things in a more macro scale. Yeah. So I I had a friend, Jordan Naidu, he was on the podcast. He's in finances in Britain. And he brought up one kind of interesting point. He said, Europeans don't invest like Americans do. And that's kind of one strength of Americans is that we have this mentality of investing. Another thing, our unemployment rates are very low. And although a lot of people my age, maybe not, maybe not so financially, you know, responsible in the sense of their expenditures, I know very few people that don't have a job and aren't able to sustain like a pretty solid job. So, you know, what do you think? There are several aspects of the U.S. economy that are interesting, but what do you think about the U.S. economy now, February 2023? What What are your opinions on it? Wow, it's a yeah, it's a really big question. So, so this is one of the things we're actually talking about at my company right now. Is we're coming off of COVID. Inflation was a big problem last year, last two years almost. Now the central banks are increasing their interest rates and that's going to make everything change. It's going to force companies to to become more profitable so that their investors stay happy. And one of the ways in which they attempt to become more profitable is by spending less money and generating the same revenue while spending less money, which means they'll, they'll lay off people, right? So I think uh, one of the one of my recent posts on Instagram I talked about is you take some of the biggest names, right? Meta, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Disney. Like, yeah, Disney now was a new one. It's way over 100,000 people they're going to lay off. And they're not low-level people. They're like medium-level people, like mid to late 20s, early 30s. That's all going to be dumped into the unemployment rate. But now the the 
those are the two big factors, the unemployment rate and inflation. That's all the Federal Reserve cares about. And that's that is dictating their decisions every month, whether they increase rates further. Now, the problem is the unemployment rate. It's a very simple equation, but I don't think people people are reminded of it enough. And, and the equation is the number of people who have jobs and, or sorry, uh, the, the number of people who do not have jobs and are looking out of the population of people who do have jobs and that population of people that do not have jobs. So if you have 100,000 people and 1,000 of them are looking for jobs but can't get one, then the unemployment rate's 1%. But the thing that this doesn't capture is the number of people who stop looking for jobs because they exit that 100,000 altogether. So if you have 100,000 people and 1,000 people are still looking and they can't find one, unemployment rate's 1%. But if 500 people just stopped looking for jobs then now it's going to be 500 out of 99,500 and and it's it shifts the numbers a little bit now i believe that is happening in some way where you have people who are no longer looking to work full time people are i i see a lot of reports of people moving back in with their parents and save, trying to save like spend less money save money somehow maybe they got laid off but i i, I can't help but think that we have all these companies laying off employees and another data point is that apparently in america a lot of consumers still have in total a decent amount of money in the bank still after since COVID, because that money was saved, right? You, everything was on lockdown for quite some time. People had a little bit of extra money. It's burnt down a little bit because of inflation, but it's still there. So there's this idea that you have less people actively looking for work, and they are also surviving off of some money that they still have, and that's creating the scenario where it looks like unemployment is good like there aren't that many people who don't have jobs and the economy is going to get better much quicker than people thought a few months ago a lot of the forecasts right now uh, are saying that inflation is going to go back to normal in meaning like what it used to be before covid in like two years or so right by the end of this year it's going to be like in a much more controlled state is that true nobody really knows it's all one big prediction and there's a lot of conflicting data right so people are just trying to to you you know put some fortune act like a fortune teller essentially and and, and try to dictate and say hey next year is going to be great we're going to be over here i i think what's happening is People are all just putting forward what they want to believe, whether it's positive or negative. For example, at my company, uh, the the outlook was very positive. It was like inflation is going to go back to normal. And then at another company uh, that we spoke to, different company, 
a big uh, a consulting firm, they said, oh, it's going to be like way worse than everybody's saying because there's all these different factors that haven't existed in previous recessions like that are happening at the same time right now. So instead of it being like one thing, it's like four different things at the same time. Energy supply problems, uh, you have inflation generally, you have layoffs coming as companies tighten up. And then I forgot the fourth thing. And it's like, does, oh yeah, real estate was the fourth thing. Does crypto play any part in the economy? I think crypto is just a reflection of how much... So crypto, and think about it this way. So in 2020, when the market tanked and people just started putting money into crypto, and and they were they would joke about how they'll take their their check from Trump the the COVID relief check and throw it into crypto or, or throw it into some stock bet. That is the best way to think about how people thought of crypto then, and I believe that is still the case now. Except the difference is because the stock market tanked in the like last year, crypto also tanked, and and there was this idea that the stock market and crypto are two very different things, and they're going to move in totally different ways. And that might be true when you move up, but when it all comes down, things tend to go down at the same time. And the difference is crypto went down way harder because it went up way higher before it went down than the stock market did. And, and I believe it is a reflection of how much money people have available sitting around to bet and make money in the short term. And, and I believe that I definitely believe that people have less money sitting in their checking account because of inflation, the way we were, we were talking about just going to buy groceries. I mean, every time I, I buy from I've been buying from Whole Foods the last couple of years now. And what I'll do is I'll order on the Amazon app where I can go pick it up. So I drive up and they just put it in my trunk. It's pretty cool. Every week or maybe like a few months ago for a good couple months straight, every time I ordered. I swear to God, of the, the 40, 50 things I bought at a time, every week or every other week, there was at least a couple products where the price would be increased and it would tell me, it'd say, hey, there have been pricing, price changes. Here are the three or four things that have changed and here's the new price. And the price would go up like 20%, 15% on each of these items. And then it would just keep going up. And I believe that this is happening across the board and it is going to it is already having a big impact so i i think it, it all just depends on this whole big economy thing i think it just depends on how how many layoffs are there going to be how many companies are going to be willing to axe what you know 10 20 percent of their workforce and how much money do people have in the bank and is it enough to weather that storm that time period where it might be a little bit harder to get a job. So I think that's all it comes down to. Yes, that that makes sense. And the reason I brought up crypto is because for people our age, I know multiple people who have used crypto as their hedge on inflation. They were like, I don't want a home. I want Bitcoin. I want 20 Ethereum. I want um, all these things. And that's kind of why I 
say I bring crypto into the equation because maybe not for people that are older, but then for people our age, it's like maybe not all of them too. I know many people who are very skeptical of it, um, but I know several who bet on it. And so that's kind of where I'm going. It's like, you know, someone who made like $3 million in 2020, but now they're absolutely broke. And it's just how, how does this play, you know, that kind of, it goes into it. It's a factor into some people's equation of, you know, you got to be able to weather the storms. That's true. And, and the way you put it makes a lot of sense because for me, I viewed the stock market as a huge opportunity right now. And, yes. and a lot of people don't, a lot of people would, would look at me and laugh and say, yeah, but crypto is a way bigger opportunity. And the, tr and the truth is people don't really know, right? Like I could be totally wrong and crypto could make way more money in the next 50 years than the stock market could. But to me, I don't see, I still don't see, and I, and I've learned a lot about crypto since we last spoke, actually. I still don't see how that that increase will be facilitated in a in a way that the market will see. Because for me, right now, for example, it's really easy for me to explain why the stock market went down in uh, the last six months, right? Or even the last year. The Federal Reserve has continued to increase interest rates. That's going to help control inflation. But at the same time, any company who hasn't been profitable can no longer borrow debt at these extremely low rates that they've been doing so, which means that they might go bankrupt because they don't have the, they're not cash flow positive the way you were talking about that one stock. And they're just going to keep burning through their cash until they have nothing. And cash is the lifeblood of the business, right? So you, you raise interest rates, companies just can't raise cash the same way. And the, all of the small companies or the fast growing companies that would always talk about how big they're going to be, even though they're not profitable now, those are the ones that are going to, that are going to lose out the most. And, and that's actually what you saw is in the NASDAQ, which is the index for pretty much all the tech stocks. They're the ones that got beat up the hardest in the last year. Now, the, the difference is I can explain that very easily, like all day long. But when I, when you, when I look at crypto and I see how it declined, my only explanation for it is people don't really believe in it uh, firmly enough to hold on to it. And it's a highly speculative, uh, call it asset if you want, uh, in general, right? So because it's speculative, people will go in and out very quickly and treat it that way versus treating it like they own a piece of a company, which to me is very different. I mean, I, I look at the companies that I invest in as like, you know, I actually believe in this thing and I see their performance. I, you know, I'm a big, I was talking about that credit card earlier that I got that benefit from. And it's a, it's actually American, an, an American express card. Right. And I got it like two years ago almost. And I really love that card. Like it's been super cool to own and the experience has been great. The app is awesome. Customer support's amazing. And I see that company on my, one of my companies that I invest in. And I'm like, you know, I like the idea of owning a piece of that, but I, I just don't feel this. I still don't feel the same way about Ethereum or Bitcoin or, or XRP or Ripple or any of these things. And 
will there is there technology beneath these currencies that could be useful to society? Yes, I think so. But I don't think that has anything to do with the currency itself. So that's the that's the difference, right? It's like saying, um, I'm trying to. It's hard to make a comparison because I'm I'm trying to think of like previous generations of the internet, but but the blockchain, for example, the underlying technology of Bitcoin blockchain, extremely useful. Could be could could change the game in a lot of ways, right? But that. You can have blockchain and not have Bitcoin, right? You can invest in blockchain without buying Bitcoin. And, and that's the, the point I'm trying to make, right? People have been conflating the two things, the technology with the currency, and it's just not the same. No, and you're making such a valuable point that so many people miss. And when I tell people that, you know, public ledger tech, distributed ledger technology is extremely valuable it makes so much sense i'm a software engineer when you look at the way that when i look at the way that modern digital cash is stored in bank servers compared to the idea of a blockchain or a public or a distributed ledger that everyone has awareness of it's very obvious that one cyber one software system the blockchain, the distributed ledgers are more secure than the standalone server in the bank. Even if the bank has got as much physical security, as much cyber security as possible, it is a less secure system than Bitcoin. Bitcoin is actually one of the few systems that has not been penetrated itself. Many people get scammed by the ledger isn't wrong when people get scammed it's usually because they got fished they released some information they shouldn't have something along those lines but block but bitcoin itself isn't lying about where the where the bitcoins went i think the biggest thing that a lot of people have issue with with Bitcoin, with Ethereum, with these ledgers, is they're one, they're fabricated. I mean, these, I, I, when the US government prints bills, at least it's the US government, you know, it's, it's a government that has like a firm established place within all, it regulates that it has an SEC, it has an, you know, a military it has all of these things. When software engineers begin fabricating yeah. digital coins, it becomes very obviously a Ponzi scheme. And, you know, I don't know if you saw Charlie Munger, you know, who Charlie Munger. Oh, is. I love he, Charlie Munger. Yeah. Charlie Munger is a very, very good person to look he has a lot of good advice he thinks that um bitcoins should the the they should stop being sold that cryptocurrency should stop being sold and because he made this uh reference to like ship a ship a shipping company that was heavily invested in in the 1700s in england and they stopped the ship 
they stopped people investing in it because the shipping company wasn't putting returns out in in a timely manner. So they the England just said no one's allowed to invest in this. And Charlie said something similar should be done with crypto. And it's true. I mean, really, I don't want to invest in a cryptocurrency that I'm not you know, you can make the same argument that's with the USD, like there are some people that are extreme that are, you know, they're born with more. So they get, you know, they're kind of born into a better position. But I don't know, it seems like a Ponzi scheme. And when, you know, software engineers begin to fabricate things that people are taking as cash, I, it it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Yes. And that's a really good way to put it, because I I have uh one of my friends he he's always looking for like some way to some hack in the system right, right. oh there's going to be this new you know token it's going to pay out an interest rate right because they have this distributed system that lends portions of whatever you invest so it's like buying a, an actual bond in the stock market in the bond market except it's crypto and and i'm like okay that sounds interesting and and financially uh like, like like a financial model that's used in the real world but i am sketched out at the mechanics of it and there's no regulation right it's it's straight up being treated like a security but is just skirting all the laws and rules that i was telling you about that i had to do to even start my company and and it's supposed to make you wealthy very quickly things just don't add up right and then what ended up happening was my my friend actually like lost i think it was like thirty, forty thousand dollars because what it was essentially like a fishing trap and he's an older guy he's got some money so he didn't it wasn't thankfully it wasn't a lot of money for him but but it's like that's an example of a really dumb mistake to make to me and and i can't tell you how many people have that mentality of like oh i'm just gonna try to get rich off of this really quick and I think that that example with the software engineers is a really great point because what is stopping a a technically savvy engineer from doing something like that, right? It, it, that's essentially, uh, like you said, it's a Ponzi scheme. But it's 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 the same thing in the financial markets when when people try to create a company that doesn't or advertise a company that doesn't even really exist that ha doesn't have all the proper controls in place that hasn't been registered to sell shares in right imagine imagine you know i start a fake you and me start a fake company and it's going to be like this revolutionary digital banking personal finance thing and it's going to magically do all these things and people are like yeah how do we invest in it and we just start issuing shares somehow and then we get paid for it and then before you know it we just turn around and run with all the money that's exactly what's happening in a lot of these token schemes is, is the the tokens get pumped up and then they get maybe they get canceled maybe they, the owners delist them or deactivate them somehow there's no rules it's like the wild west and it's sad to think that people are falling for it after after for years it being in the spotlight and now you have this whole other thing with like FTX which is very interesting because it's so big it ties into pol politics and uh the level of corruption is just insane 
And and that's probably the tip of the iceberg for crypto. I mean, SBF was, you know, there's videos of him with Tom Brady just hanging out. I mean, I don't know how it gets bigger than donating that much money to political parties and being with the most famous athlete in America. Yeah, it's that stuff is crazy, man. And I, I think I don't think it stops there. I think there's going to be some I think I think even like Kim Kardashian or somebody was being sued for advertising a specific token like crypto token and it falls under securities law like you you can't advertise like you people just can't go and advertise stock uh very happy they just can't go and do it easily right there, there's a lot of check boxes that you have to mark off first tons of regulation and i believe the ruling was this crypto token counts as a security and Kim Kardashian and all these other people essentially artificially pumped the price via their advertisement for it on their major social media platforms. And they profited off of it by, you know, millions of dollars. That's, that's market manipulation, right? Classic. And probably going to be way more examples of that in the future, just not now because of the state of the economy, which I think is kind of funny because two years ago, not even, it was all over the place. A year and like three months ago, I remember fall of right when we were had our had our um, yeah, podcast, that's right. o- October of 2021. It was on the up and up. I mean, crypto and Web 2.0, Web 3.0 and NFTs. Tw- end of 2021 was just whoo, really high. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that, too, because even at my job. One of the things they asked us was, "Hey, we need to we need to talk about the opportunities with Web three to our investors, right? And and because the investors, right, they have all this money in our company, they want to know what we see in Web three. So now it's my job now to go learn about Web three, and this is a few months after you and I spoke, which is why I learned anything about it, right? But then what happened after that? Like two three months later." all of the interest in the metaverse and web three just like went down the drain for some reason. Yes. And then, and then it never really can't, it's all in the background now. It's I find that so, but it all ties back to the economy and how people are reprioritizing because of what's going on now. And people actually don't have the money or to, to even speculate in these things. I, I don't think. Right. So what matters now is the companies that have been there this entire time who actually make money. Matt, it's been a great conversation, and we talked a lot about defending ourselves against irresponsible financial behavior and, you know, possibly irresponsible financial investments. Do you have any final words you'd like to give the audience? Yeah, you know, I I would just like to say that as long as you have your head in the right place and you're thinking long term things are going to go great for you and it's important that we just don't get distracted from the noise that is constantly being thrown at us you you just keep your head in the right place everything's going to be great my guest today has been matt codry thanks for coming on the podcast matt thank you karosh